1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, nor that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that you would give us wisdom and insight into your word, that we might know Christ better, that our love for one another would increase, that we would use the various gifts that you have given us to serve one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I recall in the days that Becky was pregnant, the mindset that I had while we waited for the birth of our children. As due dates approached, I remember feeling the, the constant uh, being, feeling constantly alert and, and ready for the time in which she might give birth. I'd have my phone on me at work. I'd have my phone on me overnight at work. I'd have it on me at school, constantly looking, hoping, and prepared and ready to see if she would, might call at any moment. There was a constant expectancy as the time of her about to give birth drew near. It was essential that we were prepared, that we were mentally ready, that we were alert, because we didn't know the exact time in which she would give birth. But as the months grew closer, that final week or so, we were definitely ready. We were definitely ready. And I'm sure you have many stories of your own getting ready and preparation in regarding children, having children. Well, in a similar way in our passage this morning, Peter reminds us of the nearness of the end. And he calls us to live a certain way in light of that, in light of these last days. And so here, here's my main point this morning. The end of all things is intended to motivate us to be self-controlled and sober-minded, to continue to love one another, and to use our spiritual gifts to serve one another for the glory of God. So first, we can see this in an outline, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Notice verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is at hand, which means that the major events in God's plan of redemption have come to pass. They've come to pass in Jesus Christ. Jesus has ushered in the last days through his death, resurrection and ascension and now Christ reigns in heaven he's seated at the right hand of God the Father with all things being placed under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death he has accomplished salvation for us through his death on the cross and now in these last days we wait for his return and the new heaven and new earth Throughout the New Testament, we observe that we are living in the last days, and final judgment is near. 1 John 2.18 says that it is the last hour. James 5, the judge is standing at the door. Hebrews 1.2, which I read earlier. In these last days, God has spoken to us 
by his son. And in our letter here in 1 Peter 1.20, Christ was made manifest in these last times, in the last days for us. And so now Peter declares the end of all things is at hand in the context of a death of death, resurrection, and judgment back in 4, 1 through 6, which we looked at two weeks ago. And Peter says this, Peter says this not to encourage the believers to withdraw from their involvement in the world. A reminder of the end is not intended to lead us to isolation or fixing our gaze in the sky, waiting for Jesus' return. It's not intended to get out our charts and graphs and try to figure out when Christ is coming back. But what's Peter's point in reminding them of the nearness of the end? It's intended to encourage us to live for Christ in the present. What one believes about the future shapes how one lives today. What one believes about the future shapes how we live today. And so what does Peter exhort his readers to do? Look look with me at the second part of verse 7. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Therefore, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Because the end is near, because the end of all things is at hand, we are to be self-controlled and sober-minded. The idea is that we are to have a clear mind. We are to to think rightly. We are to have a focus on the things of God and what pleases Him. We are to exercise self-control and make sound judgments. And notice notice what Peter's getting at here with these terms. You recall from two weeks ago, even just back in verse three, you can see this in verse three, how he described how people lived within the society, right? How the Gentiles lived. Drunkenness, sexual immorality. And we, we, we recognize that these are things that lack self-control. There was a lack of self-control. And they want us to join them in their flood of debauchery. But now the believers are exhorted to be self-controlled and sober-minded. We are to not act like the world, but have a frame of mind that is alert and ready and focused on what pleases God. We are to control our thoughts so that we can pray. So there's a connection between one's thoughts and one's prayer life. So often we fail to pray because we fail to recognize the reality of the times in which we live. Prayer is an indication of one's relationship with God. And if we are not mentally engaged and self-controlled, committed to a life that pleases the Lord, then our prayer life will suffer. But if we realize that we are in a war, we're in a battle, we're in a spiritual battle, and our call is to follow Christ, our captain, on the road to suffering, if we realize that, if we realize our need for him and dependence upon him, if we realize that we are strangers and exiles in this hostile world, then it should lead us to depend upon God and go to Him in prayer. Imagine for those, perhaps you've been to another country, I think of those who go to other countries, and if they're alone, there is a need, they recognize their need and dependence for someone. 
It is awfully hard to live in isolation. And so what do we do? As we're strangers and exiles here on this earth, we are to go to the Lord. We are to depend upon Him. Do you view your life in this light? What keeps you from praying? Our right thinking of our circumstances and suffering and our evaluation that the end is approaching and near and what's going on in the world, when we evaluate the world and the circumstances in which we live in, it should lead us to our knees to cry out to God in prayer and go to Him and call upon His name. And second, my second point is this, continue to love one another. So look with me now at verses 8 and 9. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So now Peter draws our attention to life within the local church, with our relationships toward one another within the church body. We see this emphasis on the phrase, one another, right? There's, there's an emphasis here, one another, one another, one another, in this passage. And Peter reminds us here of the significance and value of love toward one another. These Christians were exiles and strangers in the world. They were facing verbal persecution. They were facing hostility from those around them. And so the place that they should be able to turn when they face opposition is the local church. And so Peter exhorts them, keep loving one another earnestly. A couple of truths jump out at us here in regard to the call to love, the way we are to love, and the reason to love. The call to love is the primary, is the primary mark that should characterize our relationship with each other. Above all, right, you see that there? Above all, keep loving one another. In our passage, our love for one another is to be earnest. There's a deep and intense interest in the well-being of another without ceasing. To love someone means that we have a genuine desire and concern for the good of another. Right? There's a genuine desire and concern for the good of another. Here's why. The end of verse 8 since love covers a multitude of sins. We are to love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we deny the reality of sin or offenses towards one another. It doesn't mean we just sweep it under the rug as though it doesn't exist. What does it mean? Listen to Proverbs 10.12. This might be what Peter has in mind. Proverbs 10.12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Hatred and love are set against each other, and stirring up strife and covering all offenses are opposed to each other. For love to cover all offenses means that it doesn't stir up strife. It doesn't stir up conflict or dissension or anger or bitterness. 
When, when we respond with hatred and not love, we, we stir up strife. We, we stir the pot and allow a cycle of sin to continue. Have you noticed this in your own life or maybe in the life of others? Someone sins against you, and then you become angry and sin in your response. And then they become bitter in their, and sin in their response. And then you sin, and then there's just this downward spiral. And it continues, and potentially the relationship can't be restored. It, it is just destroyed. It can't be reconciled. For love to cover a multitude, multitude of sins would mean that we stop the cycle. We would overlook and not hold someone's sins against them. Peter's already reminded us in chapter 1 to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he exhorted us to put away all malice, all hypocrisy and deceit and, and slander. Put away all things that destroy community, that are the opposite of love. Well, sometimes we need to confront sin. We need to do so in a loving way. And sometimes we just need to let some things go and not find fault in everything. We should show forbearance and patience and kindness 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Wow, that's hard. That's impossible in our own strength. What might help us is just giving our brother or sister the benefit of the doubt. Think of raising children, for instance. There's times when we just need to let some things go. We've pushed them to the max, right? You've got children, perhaps you have children. You push them to the max, they go on a long road trip, late nights, lack of food, lack of sleep, the age of the kids, it's hot out. <laughs> this weekend was really hot. And they're not in outright rebellion but they're cranky. They're irritable, aren't they? You can just kind of tell certain circumstances when that happens. So we just need to extend some grace. This goes for parenting and it goes for the life of a church. In our community here, don't choose every moment a person sins to confront them. Don't hold every sin against them. And don't respond to someone offending you by slander, deceit, deceit or backbiting but cover it with love cover it with love and how can we love one another earnestly well this time of year reminds me of campfires perhaps you've gone camping recently I don't know but you get out the hot dogs and the s'mores and and you sit around the fire right it's just enjoy the time around in the fire how do we keep the fire going I'm not going to tell you exactly how we keep the fire going, but we attend to it, right? We attend to it. We keep an eye on it. We, we, we add more wood. We, we don't neglect it. If we abandon the fire, it will eventually go out. In a similar way, we need to fan the flame of love 
so that it is displayed towards one another. Let's attend to the well-being of one another. And with our love, let's cover the offenses of others and not add fuel to those potential fires. What might it look like for us to love one another earnestly and to love each other in this way? Peter gives us an expression and an example of love for one another in verse 9. Verse 9 says this, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality was essential, especially needed in that day and essential in that day because of the lack of hotels. Right, as people travel to various locations, missionaries and, missionaries and preachers would travel from city to city sharing the gospel. Letters were written by the apostles and then they were carried to these various churches. And so people would go on long journeys without the certainty of knowing where they would stay overnight or what they would eat. And so there was a need within the Christian community to, to provide lodging and food for other believers. It was a way to provide safety and security, and it was a way of displaying care and concern for the people that, you, that they might not have known. And some think that that's what's going on here, right? That, that's possible. But I think Peter's saying more than that. I think he's saying more than that. Peter, notice here, Peter's calling the church to show hospitality to one another within the local church. Not just other believers that you don't know that might come to your area. There was an obligation for all believers in the church to display hospitality to each other. This term hospitality means a love of strangers, a love for outsiders. You see, at one time, we were outsiders. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. But Christ showed his love for us towards us outsiders by dying on the cross for us. He brought peace to us who were far off. He brought us near by his blood. And he included us in his family that we might be called sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we should follow in his steps and display a love for outsiders. Within the local church, this would have involved welcoming people into one's life. The early church, as you know, gathered in people's homes. And aside from their formal weekly gathering, they would open their homes and meet together in informal ways for fellowship, for worship, for prayer. So this is a call then for us to open our lives to each other. This takes work. It takes intentionality, it takes preparation and planning, and the, temp- the temptation is that we, are, we might grumble or complain. But all believers are to show hospitality and be hospitable. So how can we show hospitality in our church? Right? That's, that's really what we want to know, right? How do we show hospitality within a local body? Lovingly welcome those that you meet. Lovingly welcome those you meet. This would involve greeting each other, setting aside your desires or interests or things that you have to get done, and intentionally welcome one another. Talk to someone that you don't know that's outside of your circle of friends. 
if you see a new face, instead of going to your friends, go to someone that you don't know and have a conversation with them. Attend various activities, right? So here's my plug for the 4th of July celebration. 3 p.m., July 4th, out on our lawn. Last year we had around 100 people. I'm hoping for another 100 people or more. Invite friends. Attend activities like that. Where, whether it's an annual event, whatever it is, that you can get to know each other and get to know and get involved and get messy in the lives of other people, right? Or whether it's Wednesday nights in the fall and the spring. It's an opportunity if you don't know someone, hey, maybe I'll come to Wednesday night and get to know some people. Use these, or, or right, even setting up the tent, right, even setting up the tent Monday or Tuesday, whenever that's going to happen. Hey, there's going to be people spending time out here on the lawn getting ready. Right, I'll go help. I want to get to know some people. Use these as opportunities to get to know people outside of, and this is the point, outside of your normal circle of friends. Okay, because hospitality is a love for strangers. It's, it's a love for outsiders. I don't know if pastors have friends, but what I try to do is talk to people on Sunday morning that I don't know if I'll get a chance to talk to them during the week. If I plan to talk to someone during the week, here's what I've told them. I'll, we'll talk during the week. I'm not going to talk to you on Sunday morning. <laughs> I tell them to do the same. You don't need to talk to me on Sunday morning. We'll talk throughout the week. Now, this was before I was even a pastor as well. We used to do this. We used to do this in our churches. Invite someone into your home. How do you show hospitality? Invite someone into your home. Go meet for coffee. Go out for lunch. Small groups, that's another way that we can foster hospitality. Let's show hospitality toward one another without grumbling. Let's lay aside our interests and welcome each other and the needs of others. Let's invest in the lives of others and treat each other with love like a brother or sister. And third and finally, third and finally, use your spiritual gifts to serve one another. Use your spiritual gifts to serve one another. We see this in verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In light of the reality of living in the last days, we are to be self-controlled, sober-minded. We're to continue to love one another, expressed in hospitality. And now, finally, we are to use our spiritual gifts to serve each other, to serve one another. And Peter speaks here of having received gifts from God according to his grace. All Christians have been given various spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift could be defined as any talent or ability or skill that was given to someone by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used for building up the church. We see here, I don't know if you noticed it, each has received a gift. 
this would imply that some sort of gift has been given by God to contribute to the church. Right? Everyone, if you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift. One, maybe more. You have at least one. You have received a gift from God that is intended to be used to contribute to the church. We are to be stewards. We are to be managers of the gift that God has given us, which means that we are responsible for what we have been given. There are two things here that jump out. I don't know if you noticed these. There's two things that jump out in our text. First, the gifts are given to each one of us by God in which we use it to serve one another. God has gifted every believer in this room, every believer here with a spiritual gift that is to be used to serve one another. Spiritual gifts are not intended for our own self-advancement or to draw attention to ourselves in any way. They're for the benefit of others. What matters is not necessarily what gift you have, but what we are doing with it. It's intended to serve and minister to one another. That's the first thing we see. So do you know how God has gifted you? Are you being a good steward of what God has given you? Are you actually contributing to the life of the local church? Are you using your gift to serve others? That's my hope. That's my hope. One of the ways God has designed the the spiritual growth of the local body is through serving and building each other up using the gifts that he has given us. The second truth that jumps out at us here is is that Peter doesn't give us a full list of the spiritual gifts. Some, Some general lists, if you're interested, some general lists are found in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. But here, Peter breaks them down into two categories. Speaking and serving. Speaking and serving. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So whoever speaks, whoever serves. The one who speaks is to do so as one speaking the words of God. There's a seriousness for the teacher and preacher of God's word. There's a seriousness of the evangelist or the encourager that when we open our mouths, that we proclaim God's word and not our own. It's not our opinions or preferences that we are to utter, but what God says through his word, what God speaks through his word. It's not that our words become the word of God. It's not that when I speak as a preacher or teacher, it's thus says the Lord. Rather, it's that we strive to speak God's words. As Christ's ambassadors, we we represent him with our words. We're to be faithful in proclaiming the word of God, and we understand the seriousness and weight of what we are saying. The one who serves is to do so by the strength that God supplies. 
I'm not going to list all the ways that people serve. There's numerous ways. And for those who, who serve in various capacities here at church, I'm thankful for that. And I want, I want to encourage you to continue to do so in the strength that God supplies. Don't rely on your own strength. When you're serving, depend upon God and his strength that he has given you. When we, re- when we rely upon God in, in our service towards one another, God is glorified through Jesus Christ. He gets the credit when we build each other up because we are using the gift that he has given us and we couldn't do it without his strength. So whether your gift falls under the category of speaking or serving, Let's use it to the glory of God. So as we seek to display Christian conduct toward one another in these last days, as we pray, as we love one another, as we show hospitality, as we use the gifts that God has given us for his glory, we pray that God may be glorified. Jesus is the one who deserves all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we recognize what we are called to as we live in these last days, as we wait for the return of Christ. You have called us to live a certain way, to be sober-minded and self-controlled, to keep loving one another, to express that in our hospitality towards each other, and to use the gifts that you have given us to serve one another for the building up of the body of Christ. So we pray that you would enable us to to display this sort of love, this sort of way of living, this Christ-like conduct towards each other. And we look forward to seeing the benefit that it has upon this body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.